Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I hope it's really helping you grow in the Lord. But I just wanted to take a second just to talk about this great tool that I've been using to bring the Word of God to people. Anchor is a tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to listening platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a lot more. So it's really been helping me reach people that I can't go to their house and actually teach them a Bible study. So it's everything you need in the podcast in one place. The best of all, Anchor, and it's totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Word Bible Study, Pastor Dan. I am excited today because I got the joy of the Holy Ghost inside of me. We're going to do a little Bible study about that very subject today. The Holy Ghost. We're going to go through some significant places in the Bible that talk about the Holy Ghost, and what it is to us, how do we get it, and all the characteristics of it. So let's turn to John chapter 7. I'll take a second and let you pause it so you can go with me because I'm going to be flipping through a lot of Bible scriptures here so feel free to stop it and find it in the Bible so you can confirm what I'm reading. I will be reading from the New Living Translation. I have the King James Version as well so I kind of jump back and forth between the two but New Living just makes it a lot easier for me to read and since it's all inspired by the Holy Ghost and we don't have to really argue about that. So let's go to John chapter 7 it says on the last day the climax of the festival Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds anyone who is thirsty come to me anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the scriptures declare rivers of living water shall flow from his heart when he said living water he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So now if you read that in the King James, which is what I've always had it quoted to me, it says, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So I don't know if it's your belly or your heart, but I know Jesus lives in our heart and the Holy Ghost is inside of us and they are one. So... I do know that it's funny that when the Holy Ghost is moving in my life and I I feel like something comes from the Holy Ghost, it's almost like it never makes sense to my head. So I know for a fact the Holy Ghost is not in my head. But this was a future prediction of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this is Christ showing us that one day soon we were going to have a comforter and it was going to be living inside of us. Now in the Old Testament, in the book of Joel, chapter 2, it says, starting in verse 28, it says, And afterwards I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. So he was obviously predicting the Holy Ghost that was to come after Christ's death. And it was going to give us the ability to prophesy and to see visions and to know what was going to happen in the future because it is God living inside of us. So we know that the Bible prophesies that the Spirit is coming, but let's read a little bit about how significant Let's turn to John chapter 3, and we're going to pick up here with a conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. It says, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he called him. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. 
How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter into the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the spirit gives birth to the spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. You cannot explain how people are born of the spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. And Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish leader, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me, when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe me when I tell you about heavenly things? So here clearly Jesus says that you have to be born of water and of spirit. I did a whole Bible study on baptism a few weeks ago, and if you've gotten access to this, you probably have access to that as well. And it was all about how important baptism is to salvation. But here clearly Jesus puts the Holy Ghost in the same category that we should be seeking after the Holy Ghost. If you are not born of water and spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now let's turn forward a little bit in John to chapter 14. And this is where Jesus is talking with his disciples. And in verse, starting in verse 8, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replies, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work that you've seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. Because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, Ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. It also says a comforter in the King James Version. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you no i will not abandon you as orphans i will come to you soon the world will no longer see me but you will see me since i live you also will live when i am raised to life again you will know that i am in the father and you are in me and i am in you those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me and because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and reveal myself to them. Wow, that's a powerful scripture. Not only does God talk about obeying Him, obeying His commandments, but He talks about Him living inside of you, and you being able to do all of the great works that Christ did. Cast out devils, heal the sick, speak in tongues, raise the dead, raised from the dead and live eternal life in heaven with the father so that's pretty powerful but let's keep reading so judas not judas iscariot but the other one said to him lord why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large and jesus replied all who love me will do what i say my father will love them and will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey me. But remember, my words are not my own. 
What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the Advocate or the Comforter as my representative, it is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember that I told you I'm going away and I will come back to you again. If you really love me, you would be happy that I'm going to be with the Father, for he is greater than I am. I have told you these things before they happen, so that when they happen, you will believe. Wow, so the Holy Ghost is also a sign so that we will believe everything Christ taught us. Alright, well let's flip in our Bibles a little bit forward. In the next chapter over in chapter 15, verse 26, it says, When the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye shall also bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. So the Holy Ghost was a sign for the believers to know that everything that Christ had been saying was going to come true. Salvation, that God is real, that he was God wrapped in flesh. So once we received the gift of the Holy Ghost and spoke in tongues, we wouldn't doubt any of that again. Now let's move on to the next chapter, chapter 16, starting in verse 5. It says, But now I am going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the Comforter won't come. But if I go away, when I send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin, and of God's righteousness, and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. So sin is not believing in Jesus. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me all that belongs to the father is mine this is why i said the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me so we also see here that the holy ghost will give us revelation it will open up our mind to understand things that we couldn't understand before now we're going to take a look at what jesus has to say about this in the book of mark chapter 16 this is after Christ has died now and re and been resurrected from the grave and he's a, he's actually about to ascend into heaven here when he says to his disciples go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every creature he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved he that believeth not shall be damned and these signs shall follow them that believe in my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak in new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them, and they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Soon then after the Lord had spoken this unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. So again here, Mark makes it very clear that there are going to be some signs that follow after we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And he says, if you believe and you are baptized, you shall be saved and these signs shall follow them. So the Holy Ghost is a gift that comes after we've been baptized and of course after we've repented. But let's also check in on our other gospel, brother. Let's go to Luke 
and see what he has to say about the Holy Spirit. We're going to pick up in chapter 24 of Luke where Jesus appears to his disciples. They were telling a story about how Jesus had appeared to them on the road. And we'll pick it up at verse 36. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be unto you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking that they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he said. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it is really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost, because ghosts do not have bodies, as you see I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and feet. So this was making sure that people don't say Jesus never really rose from the dead. He, even his disciples didn't believe it at first. They were like, are you a ghost? Are you real? And he said, here, touch my hands and feet. Make sure you see that I am real. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. When he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. So further, he's proving that he is alive. And in verse 44, he says, then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it is written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and raise from the dead on the third day. It is also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sin for all who repent. Wow. So that is the message that's to be proclaimed to all the nations. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. So it's coming to fill us with power, power to cast out demons, heal the sick, speak in new tongues, drink poison and survive to keep us healthy. So yes, we're waiting for this Holy Spirit to come. So let's flip to the book of Acts now, chapter one, where we're going to actually see the Holy Spirit show up for the first time in the Bible. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witness telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem throughout Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth after saying that he was taken up into the clouds and the disciples continued to wait until the day of Pentecost and starting in chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And again, in the New Living Translation, it says, as the Spirit gives them the ability. So once they began to speak in tongues, caused quite a ruckus in the town, and everybody began to say they were drunk, and they couldn't believe this. So Peter has to stand up and tell them about what's going on, and he tells them, of course, we're not drunk. This was prophesied in the Bible. And Jesus came to forgive our sins, and he promised us his Holy Spirit, and it was dumped out on us, and we'll pick it up. In chapter 2, right at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and unto your children, and all who are as far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. 
And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untorn generation. So I, I love the fact that Peter stands up and tells them to do two things. He says, repent and be baptized. Those are your things that you have to do. And if you do those with a pure heart, you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So that's the first time Paul talks to them about it. And of course they believed and about 3,000 believers were added to them that day. And we're going to continue now in the book of Acts because we're going to see a lot of places here where the Holy Ghost just starts making an entrance. Let's flip to chapter 10. We're going to read a little bit out of chapter 10. Peter is told to go to the Gentiles and preach the message to the Gentiles. But right before he goes, he's on a rooftop and he has a vision and he sees the unholy animals come down and he tells God, I can't eat that. It's not holy. And God says, don't call something unholy that I've called holy. So Peter, from the vision, realizes that God wants him to go to the Gentiles. So when they come and ask him, he goes. And in verse 44, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Ghost had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they heard them speak in tongues and praise God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to them being baptized now that we have, now that they have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So here's for anybody who says, if you've got the Holy Ghost, you don't need to be baptized. It clearly here, after they received the gift of the Holy Ghost, they were commanded to go and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's still significant. The Holy Ghost being dumped out on someone shows that their heart's in the right place and that they want to obey the words of God. So if they haven't been told them yet, it would be the only excuse for them not wanting to be baptized. But once someone's filled with the Holy Ghost, we as believers should immediately encourage them to be baptized. And as we continue along now, we're going to move to Acts chapter 19. let you flip with me because I'm actually turning there with you guys this time. <laughs> Starting at verse 1, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked them. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism calls for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So here we have an example of a believer not just receiving the Holy Ghost spontaneously on his own like on the day of Pentecost and some believers experience today. But we have a minister filled with the Holy Ghost laying his hands on them and then receiving the Holy Ghost when he lays his hands on them. So here we have the practice of laying on of hands that walks throughout the doctrines of the Bible. We are continually told to lay hands on the sick. And we see here that the Holy Ghost and some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit come through impartation when a believer lays hands on other people. Corinthians 12 tells us a lot about the gifts that come through the Spirit. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to, be, to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, 
you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives the message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another one. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So we see here that there is a gift that comes from the Holy Spirit of speaking in tongues as well in a form of prophesying. Some people get really confused when they see the gifts of the Spirit when it comes to speaking in tongues and the initial speaking in tongues as the evidence for the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And Corinthians 14 puts it pretty plainly here. In verse 5 it says, I would that ye all speak in tongues, but rather that ye prophesy, for it is greater that he that prophesieth than he that speaketh in tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. So he says here plainly, he wishes that everybody would speak in tongues. But of course it's better that everybody prophesies because it's a gift of the Spirit and it edifies the church. But the initial speaking in tongues is still something everybody should do to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And again in verse 18 in Corinthians 14, it says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. So Paul wasn't ever saying that we shouldn't be speaking in tongues, but he was saying that we should be doing it in order. Sometimes that gets confused in Corinthians 14. But again, at the end of in verse 22, wherefore tongues are a sign, not for them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them that believe. So he says that speaking in tongues originally is a sign for those that don't believe, but prophesying is a sign for those that believe. Because when you haven't spoken tongues, that's the initial sign that someone's filled with the Holy Ghost. But when we're prophesying, we don't really understand what's being said in those tongues. So by interpreting those in prophecy, we understand what's being said in the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it edifies the church and gives the church more understanding. In verse 39, it says, Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not speaking in tongues. So in the, in the NIV, it says, Be eager to prophesy, but don't forbid speaking in tongues. So anybody who tries to speak out of Corinthians 14 and say that speaking in tongues is a thing of the past, and that's not at all. The Bible clearly talks about speaking in tongues and it being a sign of the initial infilling of the Holy Ghost. And with it comes a lot of other miraculous signs. And I know I didn't take the time to read the whole book of Acts, which I recommend to everyone. But if you, you'll pay attention in the book of Acts, as soon as the apostles are filled with the Holy Ghost, the first thing they did was went out and start healing the sick and casting out devils. So immediately they held serpents and got bit by him and didn't die and they, the Holy Ghost started working immediately and they witnessed to everyone and they gave signs to show that God was real and because of that they flipped the world upside down mass conversions everywhere they went people believed and were baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost and went on to do other miraculous signs but let's read in Romans chapter 8 a little bit about the Holy Spirit starting in chapter 8 verses 18 we'll start reading there yet what we suffer now is nothing 
compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including new bodies as he has promised us. We are given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something that we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Confidently because of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groans that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows that what the Spirit is saying. And the Spirit pleads for the believers in harmony with God's will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to the purpose for them. So here we, we hear that the Holy Spirit actually prays through us as well. That's why we, that's why we pray in tongues as much as we can because that's allowing our Holy Spirit to pray for us in accordance with God's will. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standings with him. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us so that's the beautiful thing about the christian religion is that we don't offer people what other religions offer them which is fake garbage that they have to believe and hope and then die and find out if they're right or wrong and sometimes they're wrong but the holy ghost gives us the ability to witness to someone and hand them something that they can't be handed in anything else we hand them the assurance of their salvation so that way they can know that one day they'll be with God in heaven no other no other religion can do that and that's why a lot of religions don't like speaking in tongues the devil doesn't want us to understand that but when we understand that we speak in tongues that is guaranteeing us that we will be with God and we will have glorified bodies like him one day in heaven and now we know that, of course, in the book of Revelations, he talks about churches that have their candlesticks removed. So this is not a once saved, always saved message where you can just do whatever you want. Now you're saved, so sin all you want. Jesus clearly says that you will obey his commandments if you love him. So receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost isn't giving you freedom to sin. It's actually showing you that your heart is in the right place. And as long as you keep your heart in the right place, you're going to spend the rest of your life and the rest of eternity with God. And I find extreme comfort in knowing that I can look in my Bible and see that I have a guarantee as long as I'm speaking in tongues and I'm living a repented life and my heart's on Jesus, that I know I can go to bed at night with peace, that I'm going to see him in heaven one day. Just like the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
Jesus loves to give guarantees. The devil's the one that makes you wonder whether or not you're going to go to heaven. Jesus gives you plenty of guarantees. And we're going to actually take some time right now to look at a few of these guarantees. We're going to start in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the suffering of Christ that continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So Christ living in you is the Holy Spirit. And that gives us assurance that we'll be in heaven one day. Now let's flip to Ephesians 4. Let's see what it has to say about this. Starting in verse 30, it says, Do not bring sorrow on God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit, again here, that's two places now, is a guarantee that you will be saved on the day of redemption which I'll read it in the King James for anybody who doesn't like the NIV's wording. And grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. You are sealed. It's a guarantee. And let's also look at Ephesians chapter 1. Let's flip back to chapter 1 here. Verse 14. Well, we'll start at 13 here. And now you Gentiles also have heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identifies you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised you long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us as his own people. And again, I can read it in the King James. They like the word sealed. To whom ye have trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, to whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is an earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So again, King James' words are a little bit different, but... Paul's clearly trying to get across the same, this point, that the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee of the inheritance of the promises that God gave us. Now, if we want to flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21, it is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. And again here in the King James, we see those two same words, who has sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. So they like the word sealed and earnest, but today we use the words guaranteed. <laughs> and it works better for people who are trying to understand what this Holy Spirit offers them. It offers you a guarantee of salvation. Now, if we just skip a little bit further in Corinthians, in chapter 5, we read in verse 5. Well, actually, we'll start from the beginning. For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave our earthly bodies... We will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary of our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan inside. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies, 
so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us the Holy Spirit. So there we go again, Corinthians 5. What is that, like five different places now? A lot of people don't like to hear this message taught because it shows that we can have faith in what the Bible teaches us. But Ephesians 3 says that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend all saints what is breathed and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth understanding that might be filled with all the faithfulness of God now unto him that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us unto him be the glory in the church of Jesus Christ through all ages world without end amen so here we go it talks about the power that works in us that's the power that gives us the ability to witness is that we have faith that we will be saved one day and with that faith comes the ability to perform miraculous signs with the gift of the Holy Ghost and one of one of the greatest signs is to be rooted in love we're gonna start learning about how the Spirit produces that in us let's look at Galatians chapter 5 starting in verse 13 for you have been called to live in freedom my brothers and sisters but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature instead use your freedom to serve one another in love for the whole law can be summed up in one commandment love your neighbor as yourself but if you are always biting and devouring everyone watch out beware of destroying one another so I say let the Holy Spirit guide our lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves the sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of the sinful nature's desires so here we go this the Holy Spirit actually gives us the desires not to sin that's what the Bible's telling me here these two factors are continually fighting each other so you are not free to carry out good intentions but when you are directed by the spirit you are not under obligation to the law of Moses when you follow the desires of your sinful nature the results are clear sexual immorality impurity lustful pleasures idolatry sorcery hostility quarreling jealousy outburst of anger selfish ambitions dissension divisions envy drunkenness wild parties and other sins like these let me tell you again as I have before that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control there is no law against these things those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed the possessions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there since we are living by the Spirit let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another Wow continuing in chapter 6 dear brothers and sisters if any believer is overcome by sin you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path but be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ if you think you are too important to help someone you are fooling yourself you are not that important <laughs> that is God's word <laughs> so that's the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces it should be producing fruit of love joy peace 
kindness. And, and fruit is something that grows. Fruit doesn't just come in one stage. It starts off small and it begins to grow. And believers that receive the Holy Spirit, they have started that process. So they're not going to have it all mastered up front. It's something that they're going to grow and continue to produce in their life. And we as believers, that's what we should be encouraging people to produce. We should be, like Christ tells us, to be fruitful and multiply. We should be helping other believers multiply that. Multiply love and joy and peace in everybody's life around you. If someone's sinning, humbly guide them back onto the right path by helping them produce these fruit. Because if they're walking in the Spirit, they're not sinning. So if we can help our brothers and sisters love and be kind and be peaceful and gentle and long-suffering, we're actually helping them walk in the Spirit, which is guaranteeing their salvation. Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through 15 put it really nice too since God chose you to be a holy people he loves you must clothe yourself in tender hearted mercy kindness humility gentleness and patience make allowance for each other's faults and forgive everyone who offends you remember the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others above all Clothe yourselves in love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace, and always be thankful. So we're to live in peace and be thankful, and knowing that we have an assurance of salvation, and we have physical manifestations of miraculous power in a believer's life should give you all the love and joy and happiness that you can get. The joy of the Holy Ghost is our strength and this strengthens us and encourages us to continue in the will of God and to witness to other people and show them this great love that they can have in their life as well. And the last thing that we'll talk about today before we end this comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 which talks about the resurrection and the hope of the resurrection and now dear brothers and sisters we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope for since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will raise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So we should be encouraged today as believers filled with the Holy Ghost. And if you haven't been filled with the Holy Ghost, this is the steps that we take. We repent and we get baptized and then we will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is a gift that is given to us. And when I've explained it to people who've never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, I explain it like it is reaching a point in prayer where you slip out of consciousness and you slip into the spiritual realm and the Lord takes over your mouth and begins to speak in tongues a language that you don't understand coming out of your mouth that you're not trying to do but what it is is it's reaching an intimate level with God where your praying becomes so deep that you slip into the spiritual realm and God's spirit slips into your body and begins to speak through you so that part of salvation is not something that we have to do. I don't have to 
try my hardest to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a promise. It's given to me. What I have to do is follow after God and believe in God. I need to repent. I need to stop sinning. And I need to trust in Jesus Christ. And then get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ as a sign that I believe in him. And then I will receive the gift. I also get baptized to show that I obey Christ's commandments because that walks hand in hand with it. So if we believe in Christ, we will obey his commandments. And one of those commandments is to be baptized. So once we believe and we obey and we're baptized, the Holy Spirit comes as a comforter to assure our salvation and empower us to witness, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, cast out demons, and also protects us from the evil that the devil would send our way. So if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to give you a chance to pray with me right now. And if you've never prayed like this before, I'm even going to give you the words, but I don't want you just to repeat after me. Receiving Christ is from the heart. So I'll give you what to say out loud, but your heart should already be feeling these words. So if you want to bow your head and close your eyes with me, dear Lord Jesus, I come before you today as a sinner, God. I recognize that I've done wrong in my life and that the sin in our lives has separated us from you. Lord, and I thank you today that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that I could have right standing with you again, Lord. I ask you now, Lord, to come into my heart, God. I want Jesus to be my God. I want him to live in me and me live in him, Lord. I repent today from every sin that I've ever committed, God. And I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit, God, so I can be empowered not to sin, God, and to walk the spiritual path, Lord, that leads to righteousness and to salvation, God. Forgive me for my sins today, God. Wash them away from me, Lord. And thank you, God, for giving me understanding today in your holy word, God. I worship you and praise you and thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer with me today, then welcome to the family of God. Now we can just get to a church and get baptized and you can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and work in some of these miraculous examples that the Bible has laid out before us. So thanks everybody for joining and God bless you all.